slaying mad pussy. So, uh, right, on on the agenda today in real politics, we have not really got any Gapes content so much as, well, we're like reporting back on a couple of, you know, terrible <laughs> things out there in the wild. Things, yeah. you know, that are bad. So I've got a little <laughs> recording of an in-conversation event that I listened to, and Geraint has got an article in Friends of the Show, the Daily Mail, that uh, he wants to highlight. So I think that's really the main agenda for today, now that Gapecast is done and dusted. So... Opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives. Slaying mad pussy. I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to... Uh, Slay mad pussy. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any dissent. What's it? Well, we know who the hard left are. We're in the, you know, ascendancy within the, within the Labour Party who... Slay mad pussy. You just said that we were right to right wing. Hard left agenda. Printing money, nationalisation without compensation. Hard left wing position. Hard left. The 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 hard left. Hard left. Hard left. The hard left. The hard left. 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 Hard Should we do your thing first? All right, yeah, yeah. So today I'm going to be tackling the ridiculous melt historian, kind of use historian with inverted commas there, Dominic Sandbrook. Now he's written various popular history books about 20th century Britain, but he is also a fairly regular columnist for the Daily Mail. Fuck um, yeah. Yeah, I think some of them are just online and, and some of them are published in the print version. Like articles about us, a variety of the two online print. Yeah, I mean, the Daily Mail, on the bright side, they've done more than anyone else to raise our profile. But <laughs> the, the downside is that they do, uh, unfortunately, promote these sort of ridiculous characters as well. So just an old article popped into my mind. I think there might be a couple of them, but... With the UK rapidly descending into absolute chaos, given the government's terrible sort of mixed messages and confused response to the COVID-19 epidemic, roughly 100 days after Boris Johnson won her convincing election victory, I was reminded of the article, 100 days that would plunge Britain into the abyss. As John McDonnell unveils his plans for Labour's first weeks in power, Dominic Sandbrook imagines the fallout. Now, this is dated the 10th of November 2019, but he's done at least one of these before, presumably before the 2017 election. There's definitely an older one somewhere that's like exactly the same. Yeah, so I don't know if he literally, the, I don't know if he literally dug the there? old one out. No, no, no. I think there's been at least one more as well that isn't by him, but I'm pretty sure one he's in, written like, at least two. There's one in like the fucking Economist or something. There's like right. melt, dystopian visions mm-hmm. of, of Corbynite Britain. Yeah. Definitely a subgenre yeah. unto themselves now. And a lot of the dystopian stuff is like massively, massively toned down versions of what 
centre-right and right-wing governments across Europe and the Western world have introduced in the last couple of weeks, you know? There's, there's, um, there's, there's going to be food shortages in supermarkets. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. Just like Venezuela and yeah. Britain <laughs> and America and Canada and France and Spain and Italy, you know. This is why mm. Gapes was right in episode one of Gapes' cast to, you know, train his fire on Jeremy Corbyn's Zimbabwean-style communist government. <laughs> yeah. But I genuinely have a feeling that what Dominic Sandbrook's done here is he's taken his article from 2016 or 17 or whenever he wrote it before, and he's just sort of changed a few of the dates around and maybe made a couple of references. And you are, here we go. Oh, no, that's a President Trump's first 1,000 days, right? He's a bit of a one-trick pony, this guy. Um, <laughs> he's, he's done this before. I'm gonna For see a him. ghastly vision of Red Ed's Britain, just look at the socialist shambles in France. It was like 2014. <laughs> was Mitterrand was even... Not, sorry, not Mitterrand. Fucking hell. Was Hollande even still left-wing in 2014? I thought he was left-wing for like one year, like French presidents are. <laughs> <laughs> Mitterrand, obviously, bring yeah. that to mind. Corbyn's virgin train stunt shows he's stuck in the 1970s and is really rather dim. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a very highbrow bruiser whether punching Roy Hattersley or quoting sonnets Dennis Healy was a giant who shames today's Labour pygmies oh well alright that's enough I can stand for his extreme right wing views but just casually using Dennis pygmy Healy. is like it's nothing you know uh, oh right yeah that is pretty bad actually yeah I was gonna, just going to make a joke about how liking Dennis Healy is going too far but <laughs> do you notice a kind of uh, contradiction here Calais catastrophe. We kept out Hitler. Why can't our feeble leaders stop a few thousand exhausted migrants? Migrants, of course, being, sorry, like refugees from the Calais encampments, obviously being the modern day equivalent of Hitler. Christ's sake, man. And one more just from this random page I selected. Churchill gay? What poppycock? I saw, <laughs> I saw that one just now. <laughs> it's just like, uh, like Churchill gay, bro. Churchill gay. <laughs> <laughs> what Churchill mad gay. Churchill so... seriously gay, fam. A distinguished biographer has claimed in the mail that statesman from Churchill to Enoch Powell was, was... gay. <laughs> Here, leading his Is this like trying to slander the LGBT I mean, this... community or something? Enoch Did... Powell wasn't gay. He was just like a fucking proto insect. But that that yeah. is like been a lot of politicians over the last century or whatever that are kind of either very private about their sex life or seem to come across kind of right. asexual or something like that. And yeah. there's a lot of speculation. Like Enoch Powell has been a lot of speculation about his sexuality. I think one biography of him suggested it as a theory. Maybe he was gay or bisexual. Maybe. You know, he seemed I to mean, have he... a bit of a fixation on a friend from his youth when he was conscripted into the forces, but. This, again, in, in line with that Sandbrook article. Oh, God, the, yeah, um... he, was, he was, like, in love with this woman till mm. he was, like, 40, and then he eventually was like, oh, fuck it, I'll marry some other woman. <laughs> who, he never, yeah. who he, like, fully admitted but... he never loved as much as that random woman who'd, like, never yeah. reciprocated his love. And but I it... don't know, I think with Enoch, I'm more sympathetic to the idea that, you know how before he died and it all came out, Jimmy Savile was, uh, there was just this, like, air of mystery about him. There was this, like, he's just got this, there's something about his life and the 
way he conducts himself, <laughs> but just is just he's not like the rest. He's not right. Basically, yeah. that's the Enoch vibe, man. I, I think yeah. it goes beyond him being gay or whatever. But uh, you know, a couple of scholars have suggested it as a theory, and then one of I Enoch mean, Powell's. Yeah. I guess the thing is that there's probably there's lots of reasons why someone might mm-hmm. not be like slaying mad pussy or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Hearing you say slaying mad pussy, <laughs> I'm gonna make that like the intro to our show, just like if <laughs> you're like slaying mad pussy. <laughs> I think particularly if you have Enoch Powell's mad old stare, that might account for it. But like, we've, we've uh, gone off on a tangent here. Talking yeah, yeah. About so, <laughs> talking but, <laughs> what, what I wanted to say about Enoch Powell there is like because a couple of people had suggested this theory that he might have been gay or bisexual. One yeah. of his other biographers, the right wing, the, the very right wing journalist Simon Heffer, wrote uh, <laughs> a, a very a, a very thorough biography of him um, <laughs> that devoted like just huge tangents and sections everywhere through in it. Whenever any of the events come up, that other people would say, "Oh, maybe he was gay." He'd spend ten pages like, "No, this was purely platonic. It was just a really strong friendship." He was like devoting, <laughs> ha- ended up devoting half the book. It was like. You might as well just have called it, like, Enoch, not gay, you know? He was obsessed, <laughs> obsessed with debunking this theory, and he like... Enoch, it doesn't no matter, homo. You know, you're trying to re- rehabilitate the guy politically, and that's your focus, obviously, because you're a cunt, but, like... <laughs> He yeah, just got bogged um, down in like, and even worse, they said he was gay. <laughs> I think for more juicy details about Enoch, mm-hmm. people need to go back to Real Politic episode six <laughs> and hear what we had to say about him. Oh um, God, yeah, yeah. old school yeah. Real Politic. I remember exactly. the documentary that you were, you were discussing on that. I think it was on YouTube, and I was watching it on a train back to Dundee, and having to be very careful that my phone screen wasn't visible from like anyone in the seats behind or, or like <laughs> anyone seeing a reflection in the windows like why is this man cunt watching a video about Enoch Powell <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was oh, yeah, very I, I, very aware of like <laughs> yeah I was <laughs> trying I to practice social distancing that's like the correct world. sort of reaction like, yeah oh yeah, yeah. To worry it about. was like when, <laughs> when I was out for a walk slash zoot and I was like watching this was like just before everyone was kind of staying in their homes and everything so there was still like people out in the street <laughs> moping about before the zombies came exactly um, yeah 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 before um red dawn uh, it was, <laughs> but, but basically i was like watching the untold history of the united states and i was just walking past like i don't know it might have been like past a playground or something <laughs> uh, i was just acutely aware that i was just like walking past like these families and it was just like the episode about world war Two, and there was just all these swastikas <laughs> and stuff on my, on my tablet <laughs> like hitler just like waving his arm around in a mad way yes yeah, so uh, just... yeah really rooting for these guys hope they win yeah. Uh. yeah yeah so i was just always being like no no it's it's left wing in a slightly <laughs> cranky way honestly so what i was going to do is, is go through this nightmarish vision of the first hundred days of a labor government and sort of compare and contrast to what we've got after almost exactly a hundred in fact exactly a hundred days he sets oh, this on yeah. sunday march 22nd which is right nice. now as we're recording this if you oh, like, fuck. okay yeah this is awesome. so so this is what this it would be like today Right now, if Jeremy Corbyn had won power in, in, in December yep. election. <laughs> Let's just, I guess, sit here and feel really <clears throat> smug about the bullet we dodged. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Things could be worse, whatever. Right, so, the date is Sunday, March 22nd, and a courier is waiting in the cold outside 10 Downing Street. 
Exactly 100 days since Jeremy Corbyn became Prime Minister, his Momentum fan club have sent red roses to mark the occasion. (laughs) For a few minutes, the door stays firmly shut. Inside, Mr Corbyn is closeted with his chief advisers, hammering out the details of the new capital controls to prevent money flooding out of the country. (laughs) But at last, the door opens and an exhausted advisor collects the flowers. Nobody is in the mood to celebrate. How different it seemed on that day in December when the tireless Jeremy Corbyn first walked into number 10 as Prime Minister. <laughs> Hasn't even got a tie on, the scruffy old bastard. That, by that point, Corbyn was always wearing ties. That's yeah, exactly. That, that's that proper out-of-date jibe there. Yeah. Sad. But the, as the British people have discovered to their cost, you can do an awful lot of damage in just 100 days. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose. For Middle Britain, The nightmare began when Big Ben struck 10 on the night of Thursday, December 12th, and the BBC's exit poll broke the news that Britain was facing yet another hung parliament. (laughs) When Corbyn's IRA terrorists struck Big Ben on the (laughs) night of Thursday, December 12th. (laughs) For the Tories, the result was a perfect storm. In cities and university towns across southern England, they watched in horror as Remainers defected to Labour and the Lib Dems. Yeah... But in the North and Midlands, fuck yeah! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> in the North and Midlands, where they'd hoped to win dozens of Leave seats, voters' ancestral Labour leanings proved too strong. Well, you know, it's all in the kind of like the skull shape and so on. You yeah, see the proclivity <laughs> of the, the the savages towards the Labour yeah. Party. With Parliament deadlocked, the Scottish nationalists Nicola Sturgeon acted as kingmaker, allowing Mr Corbyn to become Prime Minister at the head of an informal coalition. At the time, some moderate Labour MPs insisted they would be able to restrain their leaders' radical instincts. But as all Britain now knows, they were wrong. I've always said the PLP are just secret socialists. They're just waiting to have those impulses unleashed. If anything, they're too uncritical, too too blind in their support of the leadership. Yeah, exactly. Within hours, the new Chancellor, John MacDonald, had got down to work. He immediately began borrowing racking up billions of pounds of debt to establish his promised National Transformation Fund and National Investment Bank. And then he bombed Big Ben again for some reason. There was yeah. no point. It was already rubble. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Put out a statement to the country saying it was for the banter. Yeah, <laughs> shocking. Even at this stage, the markets were crashing. Imagine that. Indeed, as Mr Corbyn was addressing a nation outside number 10, the value of the pound was falling, ending the day almost level with the dollar. Uh, if you check the exchange rates today uh, but this was merely a taste of what was to come in the next few weeks the new government's priorities became chillingly clear printing money nationalization <laughs> without compensation yeah contrary to some <laughs> predictions it turned out mr <laughs> yeah, mcdonald yeah. was absolutely serious about his plans to seize control of the water and energy industry fucking <laughs> <laughs> have that with civil servants instructed to prepare the necessary measures immediately on you February fifth, your 5th, boys took one hell of a beating, Angela. <laughs> <laughs> Water UK, you're never gonna get off the ground as the new centrist party of the moment. <laughs> on February fifth, the Chancellor unveiled what he called the most radical budget in modern British history. Income tax went up to forty-five percent for people earning more than eighty thousand, and fifty percent for those on more than a hundred and fifty thousand. Wait, forty-five percent. Yeah. 40, 40, 45%? 
That's almost as much as it was under fucking Margaret Thatcher, man. Fucking yeah, hell. exactly. In fact, Dark Days, the return of the seventies, hard left, by which they mean Thatcher. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was way more under Thatcher, actually, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> much, much more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there were also steeper corporation taxes and bank levies. Corbyn and McDonnell also accelerated plans to seize 10% of the equity in thousands of firms and hand it to the workers. Without compensation. Yeah. (laughs) Gotta be done. It was time, the Prime Minister said, to unleash a fundamental shift in the balance of power and wealth in favour of working people and their families. That's that good 1974 manifesto shit, man. That's for sure. I live and breathe. I love it. (laughs) It was time, the Prime Minister... In the City of London, some (laughs) firms were already packing their bags. Yeah, good. Fuck off. As one senior financier remarked, this was not the kind of policy associated (laughs) with previous Labour leaders, such as Clement Attlee, Harold Wilson and Tony Blair. It was the kind associated with Cuba. <laughs> it was the kind associated with Cuba's Fidel Castro or Venezuela's Hugo Chavez. Hang on, I'll just like let, let, in, in character reading. This is me in character as this guy. This is not the kind of policy associated with previous Labour leadership, such as Clement Attlee, Harold Wilson, and Tony Blair. It's the kind associated with Cuba's Fidel Castro or Venezuela's Hugo Chavez. <laughs> For years, gotta people... get Chavez in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for years people had grumbled about the bankers who were supposedly responsible for everything wrong with Britain. But only now, when it was too late, did they consider how much Britain's public services had relied on tax receipts from the city. Oh, too late. Yeah, almost, almost like it's a bad thing to base your entire economy on, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> almost at once, money and talent began to flow out of London. With Paris and Frankfurt promising to meet their relocation costs, several multinational banks put their emergency plans into operation. The thing about right now is that no one's leaving London. Everyone's no, not at all. Put. They're all it's staying the place but... to be right now. Yeah. It's hip, it's happening. <laughs> hip happening, yeah, man, you can go there pick up any kind of fucking disease yeah <laughs> uh, so... i'd like one ebola with a side of covid <laughs> a keyboardist from bon jovi's got a fucking coronavirus it says on the sidebar of the daily mail website just up keeping you updated on the situation there that's that's the oh, uh, Rand paul has got it Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what yeah. a shame. Yeah. Karmaic punishment of his, of his father for calling him Rand. Yeah. <laughs> no parent deserves to lose a child, but then no child deserves to be named Rand. <laughs> so true. Sorry, Geraint. Tell us more about this dangerous budget that they've laid out there. Will do. Or whatever. Oh, no, this, sorry, this is the severe economic ramifications. Yes. The hard yeah. program. By mid-February, thousands of high earners had left the country. The pound plunged further, hitting just 90 US cents at the end of the month. As for the stock market, there was not one single crash, but simply a long, remorseless, unending slide, wiping tens <laughs> of thousands of pounds off ordinary people's pensions. Unfathomable that would happen yeah as debts mounted the pound plunged further and the economy lurched towards recession mr corbyn began to lash out (laughs) big ben was bombed for a third time (laughs) (laughs) the blame for britain's plight he said lay with the unpatriotic bankers and their friends in the media and if the media insisted on printing bad news the Labour government would force them by law to reflect the will of the people. Printing bad news, nationalisation of newspapers without compensation. <laughs> That's how it fucking works. Yep. Some observers had seen this coming. They had warned that the Corbyn agenda was pure economic illiteracy, and they had observed his tendency to blame setbacks on minorities in the media. Wait, what? 
Same is, is that my, not my, actually, minority. Yeah, yeah, because you never get that in, for example, the Daily Mail that published this, this article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, also this weird idea that Corbyn ever actually like said anything like, damn, Jewish people are like really fucking my shit up. He didn't bl- mm. at any point yeah. apportion blame in that regard, you know what I mean? Because I, I presume that yeah. obviously it's going to refer to Jewish people because like the yeah. male's not going to be like sticking up for some other wronged minority group. Yeah. Well, it's quite like, rarely going to be sticking up for Jewish people, to be honest. That's, well, of course, that's a very of course, modern development where it's taking a go Corbyn. Meanwhile, nothing else was going right for the new government, despite all Mr. Corbyn's promises. Talks with Brussels about a new Brexit deal were a disaster. It was never clear whether the PM would support his own deal. Bit of the old Wapplington in there, nice, nice. <laughs> it's like a reverse Wapplington. He's a secret Remainer. No, yeah. uh, and when Brexit Secretary Sir Keir Starmer resigned in weary exasperation at the end of February, yeah, it yeah. seemed that Britain goodbye, bitch. See you later. <laughs> it seemed that Britain would be trapped in Brexit limbo for months, if not years. In Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon advanced her plans for a second independence vote to capitalise on the shambles in Westminster. Polls showed a marked turn towards independence, as one former Scottish unionist told the BBC, anything would be better than four more years under Corbyn. So even this, I was going to say, even this (laughs) is entirely fiction, it's a complete work of fiction. Ian Murray's still only able to be quoted anonymously. (laughs) (laughs) Coward till the end. Yeah. (laughs) I love just the big picture of Castro here. Just like illustrate this is what the economic policies are like. Yeah. They've got to really make it clear for pensioners who are just sort of flicking through the pages quickly to get to the sport or the weather. Which one was Castro? Was he the American one or the Russian one? (laughs) (laughs) As for Britain, public services, the young idealists' expectations of a new golden age were cruelly shattered. Since Mr Corbyn had never run anything in his life, his total failure to deal with the norovirus epidemic of January 2020 <laughs> should have come as no surprise. <laughs> in other circumstances, the government might have thrown money at the problem, hiring new doctors and nurses from abroad. Well, but with no, the... but Corbyn's not going to do that, man. He hates all countries abroad. He does. Uh, <laughs> the Daily Mail are proud internationalists. Yeah. They will not stand for the anti-Europeanism. I mean, obviously Corbyn like has shown solidarity with just about every country around the world, but he's not like a devotee of the European. He's European never run a business, man. so, so he, he hates yeah. all countries, man. Yeah, he's an isolationist. He is <laughs> Charles Lindbergh. <laughs> <laughs> with the pound in freefall and investment flooding out of the country, it was increasingly hard to find anyone who'd fund Britain's growing debts. And it was even harder to find talented people from abroad who'd agree to come. What sensible person climbs aboard a sinking ship? Again, as opposed people to now where it's really, it's really no easy for talented anymore. people to, to come to the UK. It's not like they need a concrete job offer with an artificially high wage to be allowed into the country or anything like that yeah. right now. <laughs> and so to the events of recent weeks... A fresh breakdown in the Brexit talks. The first meetings of Mr. McDonald's People's Assemblies to supervise his state-owned utilities. And the news that three more major banks are leaving London. Wherever you go, you hear people lamenting that they were foolish enough to give Mr. Corbyn an opportunity. Well, the banks are just moving to, like, Manchester and Sheffield. McDonald's saw sense and adopted the Jeremy Cliff model. He's sent them all to Coventry, yeah. yeah. He's <laughs> yeah. a lot of them. Yeah. Isn't sent to Coventry, like, doesn't that mean that you get, like, seen off in football terminology? Yeah, it's just basically, like, fucking batched away in the way you go. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, right. high-minded Remainers who voted to give the Tories a bloody nose. Old-fashioned working-class voters who decided to give Labour one last chance. They all bitterly regret it now. But it is, of course, much too late. And in the last few days, there has been an ominous new development. Worse As, than the pandemic? Well, that, that was just two lines and then that's been forgotten, you know. Come so, on, tell us what the real issue is. As events have turned against Mr Corbyn, so his supporters' rhetoric has become ever more aggressive. Oh, fucking on, hell, man. On social media, his fans have always been intolerant of any hint of criticism. And one even called me Dominic Piss. <laughs> Just for having an opinion. But as he has approached 100 days in power, one theme has become striking. When his admirers asked to explain why the economy is heading for a recession, the pound has collapsed and the city is becoming a ghost town. They never admit the slightest error. The problem, some of them say, here we go, here we go. The problem, yep. some of them say, is that Britain is the victim of a vast conspiracy masterminded by rich, fruitless international elites, which is not something you'd ever read in the Daily Mail about, (laughs) for example, the late father of a Labour leader or anything like that. No, 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 Um, of course not. And as far as I understand it, the Daily Mail just kind of ceased publication for the duration of the 1930s. They suddenly came back in the 40s. Still awful, but just having taken a bit of a breather, some me time. Yeah. (laughs) There will have to be a reckoning, they say, with the forces of global capital. And most worryingly. I know what that means. There's only one thing that could mean. He tells you what it means. And most worryingly of all, one word comes up again and again Israel. The only capitalist country. Yeah, at the yeah. forefront of international <laughs> capitalism, the most vibrant <laughs> banking district in all of the world. It's perfectly normal to just come right out and say that any criticism of capitalism is criticism of, of Israel specifically. That that's a when a you think and, about and, and the neoliberalism, the massive corporations who are in Latin America influencing governments, overturning governments, aided and assisted by governments from elsewhere in the world obviously we're talking about israeli companies and yeah. the israeli intelligence services no the israeli intelligence he just services really, are really really bad. doesn't but, yeah he just really doesn't like soda stream you know that, that's corbyn's problem ultimately yeah obviously <laughs> no serious analysis would view israel as being at the center of the forces of global capital I mean, right. by all means, mm. it's a capitalist state. It is part of it. But the, by yeah. no means, that the one word, you'd think, conveniently, anti-Americanism is just not a factor. It's yeah. probably in his next column, he's like, these bloody left bastards, they hate America. They don't appreciate that it's fought for our freedom. But <laughs> here, that doesn't exist because he wants to make this little hackneyed fucking accusation of anti-semitism because yep. he's a decade yeah and then it finishes with just this then is jeremy corbyn's britain in the spring of 2020 ah but here is the really disturbing thought he and his friends have only just begun i'm psyched to see what they do next yeah and all, given all, the comments, the virus. <laughs> all, all the comments all the comments are just stuff like and when are the first gulags opened yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like 500 upvotes please britain do not let those maniacs into power we cannot allow complacency to destroy our lives. Uh, McDonald is a madman. Yeah, how, how many days ago was it we were being told to get out and go to the pubs? 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't let complacency destroy our lives. <laughs> Under Labour, the UK will be like China in five years' time. Well, the Tories have managed it in three months, so actually, fair play to them. Specifically Dominic like Sandbrook. China, and we're all dying of coronavirus. Yeah. Dominic Sandbrook is a fine journalist with a keen sense of perspective. The nightmare scenario he describes will not be far from the truth if we are faced with a horror of the Johnson government. Wait, Can you click through and see people? Oh, you can't see people comment history I don't think on this that's a shame Miss Sally Shagworthy says under Labour the UK will be like China in five years oh, time yeah okay so let, let's have a look at the comments of this this one guy Jay this guy who's, who's really angry about it just comments a lot on the royal family he has very strong views on which minor royals are good and which ones are bad it's that sort of absolute danger to the community so that's the chilling prediction of what a Labour government would look like but nightmare this guy, I've actually read some of his books. Okay. Right, because he's done a series, the first couple of which were reasonably well reviewed at the time, which were like okay. a sort of history of, of post war Britain sort of thing. So the first one is Never Had It So Good, a history of Britain from Suez to the Beatles, which is like 1956 to 61 or something like that. And then there's one that's like White Heat, a history of Britain in the swinging 60s. But they're big fucking tomes and they're very much like a broad overview sort of thing. So you like look at that and then that points you to find other stuff to read and he comes across in it as like a kind of you know like a fucking a one nation Tory sort of thing mm. but he's, he's quite open about like his own biases and stuff so the first one is, is kind of tolerable because you can just ignore his ridiculous conservatism or at least sort of bake it into what you're reading but they yeah. get the books get increasingly more reactionary and more tedious as they get closer to the modern day the 60s one for example obviously it covers a lot in the history of pop culture and the explosion of, of pop music and teenagers and the emerging consumer market and this sort of thing and obviously mm. it's dealing with the Beatles, the Stones, the Kinks, and this is a big explosion of rock music and so on. And he makes the point fairly early on, ah, you know, as massive as the Beatles were, this is how many records they'd sell. So, of course, there were far more people that weren't into the Beatles than there were. And you're like, right, OK, it's a bit of an obvious point, but OK. And then he just keeps making that point over and over again. That's such a ah, stupid point. They sold, two, they sold two million records, and this means 48 million people didn't buy the record. Ah, yeah. And you're like, what, what's the point? You know, like, what what actually is that, your point? That's like the kind of thing of, of saying, like, oh, yeah. um, Remain parties won a certain mm. election when you add all of them together, despite the most decisive votes being for parties that are like, we're fucking leaving. You know, I mean, it's like Lib Dem maths. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, 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 it's so sort of aggressively eager to sort of play down the impact of that sort of thing and it just doesn't hold up because mm. clearly it's orders of magnitude more than equivalent bands were selling a few years before and most bands have managed since and who what's he getting at you know and he sort that's of that's a real peter mm. hitchens type thing hating the beatles yeah and again sort of back in the sort of late 60s when he's kind of acknowledging what the left were up to and he's clearly not a fan but he's sort of making an effort to treat them reasonably fairly and then as you get closer to the modern day and like the emergence of tony ben as a left-wing figurehead and benism and so on and he just has absolute contempt there's various prolific diarists including tony ben that he uses to sort of get a varied range of opinions on different things that were happening and pretty much every time he brings up Tony Benn, he's like, ah, but of course, Tony Benn was very privileged. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no shit. You know, he just keeps banging on about these stupid hobby horses. 
there's like a running bit in all his books as well where he's like in either the foreword or the afterword he's like regrettably i didn't find space in this book to be covering the interesting things that were going on in this period with scottish nationalism but i will be making space for it in the next book that covers the following few years when things really came to a head and he does this in every book and he never gets around to covering it if it's <laughs> intentional it's quite a good bit because it's, it's very much your kind of patrician oxbridge educated english dude just sort of oh the scots i'll get around to them in a minute and just never does but it shows how serious it is but then on the other hand is 1970 to 74 book he has a chapter about football hooliganism and he obviously barely conceals contempt for like football fans in general you know it's like the baying <laughs> hordes of thugs with weapons and so on like it's a miracle they didn't degenerate into doing this decades before they did and he starts shoehorning this rant about how Hillsborough was not the fault of the police it was the fault of the sort of culture of hooliganism and the necessary Mind, reaction yeah. to it and this is a book covering 1970 to 74 Hillsborough happened in 1989 he's going that far out of his way just to be a massive cunt to yeah. people who saw lots of their fellow fans die or be seriously injured you know disgusting man yeah yeah, so he just becomes more, and he, you know, as, as Thatcher starts to crop up in the early seventies book and stuff like that as well, he's just absolutely in, in awe of her, even though his own politics, as he presents them, are at least slightly to the left. The like a lot of moderate Tories just loses all critical faculties. She's like, she was great. She did what needed to be done, and so on. <laughs> Moderates in general, really. Yeah, it's, it's a bit Not like... Not there's been 40 years of unbroken Thatcherism or anything. No, no, that's an absurd claim to make, of course, <laughs> yeah. Well, technically there hasn't been, because it's broken in the last couple of days, so actually you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, 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 Thank, thanks, yeah. Uh, Rishi. Yeah, but just reading the guy's Wikipedia is quite illuminating, because of course, you know, he, he literally has a Shropshire brain. He was born in Shropshire to go through his own sort of sciences. He's got the skull shape as well, to be fitting quite a Shropshire brain in there. Um... <laughs> Educated at Malvern College, went to Oxford, went to the University of St Andrews and went to Cambridge as well. Phenomenally privileged. Yeah. And then in 2011, he wrote a book separate or parallel to his main series of books that I've mentioned. I've not read it or anything like that. Is it called Enoch Not Gay? No, it's not called Enoch Not Gay. It's been beaten to that quite comprehensively by probably his good friend, Simon Heffer. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet certainly his time. professional colleague. But the book was called Mad as Hell. The Crisis of the 1970s and the Rise of the Populist Right, which I think may be more on American history. Yeah. In, in February 2011, Michael C. Moynihan identified several instances of apparent plagiarism in Sandbrook's book Mad as Hell. Moynihan later expressed amazement that there were few repercussions for Sandbrook's career. He suggested yeah, that Sandbrook was shielded from criticism by his social connections, saying there is an element of protection, media buddies who go to the same dinner parties and all the rest of it. Um, well, that sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> but San Sandbrook has rejected these allegations strongly in an interview with Brendan O'Neill. Oh, well, you know, I'm sure given a totally fair shake, but also a probing interview. I'm sure not at all sycophantic. Not at all. He simply said, the fact it was later published in paperback without any changes tells its own story. Uh, he footnoted his sources and if popular history books sometimes sound familiar, that is because there are only so many ways to say things. I see. So, I mean, anything else to say on Sandbrook? Anything else to tell us about his great history as a 
one of our leading public intellectuals. I mean, this guy seems like a veritable scruton to me. No, George, if you're listening, get this cunt sacked from whatever jobs he has. <laughs> Good luck with that, yeah, yeah. Is he on Twitter? <laughs> like George Eaton somehow manages to get Dominic Sandbrook sacked from the Daily Mail. His power knows no limits. <laughs> Crack out the bubbly again. Yeah. And then Sandbrook just dies. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. He does loads and loads of radio work as well for like the BBC and documentaries for BBC TV as well. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. He hasn't tweeted since shortly after the election. Well, politics is finished. Yeah, he's won. He's won. He's got what he wanted. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's got COVID-19. He's apparently brought out a new book covering the first few years of Thatcher's reign, but you actually have to pay me to read that <laughs> so Rand hor- Paul. He, he was horny enough about thatcher in the last couple you know we mentioned Rand paul i just saw will menneker from chapo just retweeted ron paul the coronavirus hoax at ronpaulinstitute.org yeah. ron, ron paul <laughs> from, has from such March. a long history of proper proper crank shit he is almost a nexus for all this shit on the american right you know he's like <laughs> that was like that the was only on Alex the 16th Jones. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I found something as well being retweeted that was like, March the 6th versus March 22nd. March the 6th, Senator Rand Paul casts lone vote against coronavirus funding bill. March 22nd, <laughs> Rand Paul becomes the first senator man. to test positive for coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> Immediate Dickhead. reversal of fortune. Irony. Should we do my thing now then? Yes, yeah. Right, another Gapecast reading. No, I'm just kidding. What we've got is... (laughs) I just got some thoughts basically on some shit I listened to earlier. And when I say shit, I mean fucking shit. So (laughs) this was an intelligence squared debate. That's Um, a lot of intelligence. Yeah, I misread... If that's a fuckload of intelligence i saw intelligence squared i skimmed past it on the timeline i mistook it for intelligence squad which sounds like an elite (laughs) cia regime change force yeah but no this is an intelligence squared debate and it is i will get up the full thing armando ianucci jess phillips and jan ravens on satire in an age of absurdity So, I mean, it's pretty much what it says on the tin. It's chaired (laughs) by journalist, writer and broadcaster Samira Ahmed. And yeah, it's just they kind of they go between these three panelists. They let them each. I mean, you know, the format. They let each of the panelists answer a series of questions put by the chair and then they hand it over to the audience. And they basically discuss the role of satire in our crazy mixed up world as Mike Gapes called it on Gatecast the other day. There's obviously this idea, someone like Iannucci, he spent a couple of decades really just like lampooning what was in the news, lampooning public figures and politicians and public life as well, the kind of mores of public life. And yeah, now he has kind of given up. Like I watched the first two episodes maybe of his new show avenue q it's not called avenue q that's a thing but it's like it's called something like that and it's set in space and hugh laurie's in it and i mean it's not bad but 
it's kind of like he's taken a step back from trying to comment on a world he no longer understands in his career at the moment. Obviously, the death of Stalin was a historical piece, but that he said that it had contemporary resonances. I think that whatever resonance it had with modern day was kind of incoherent, to be honest. It seems to be a kind of dictatorship is bad sort of thing that I guess he well he said explicitly at the time he was thinking of Trump and he was thinking of Corbyn <laughs> definitely the same, same guys yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 same and yeah Corbyn Stalin direct line the parallels obvious Inucci <laughs> <laughs> in fact says in the course of this well no the chair asks a question they kind of say well what do we think about how social media plays a role in satire these days and I think oh are they going to start talking about like people using social media as an independent platform well social media is not really independent that's a problem they uh, private companies are making just suspend your account or whatever but as a, a pseudo independent platform for satire they don't talk about that shit at all right i didn't expect them to be like talking about rp talking about trevor bastard talking about simon hedges and joe squinson's squirrel murder memes i almost <laughs> call her joe squinson like yeah, that's her name now. The squints, the Swinson and the squirrel merging into one. At this point in time, they are inseparable. But no, they immediately segue from his question about social media into Ianucci being like, "Well, you know, the thing about dictatorships is they're not usually very fond of comedians." And then the audience is like. It's just, like, such banal shit. He also says, going back to the Stalin-Corbyn thing, (laughs) he only gets vitriol online when he makes a joke about Corbyn. Only. It's weird, because I obviously spend too much time on social media, no matter how much I try, and I see vitriol from literally people on every side of the political spectrum literally every side you just got to express the opinions of your side and there's gonna... as the portrait of tom foster i have in this room says abuse is across the political system <laughs> well tom got it right you know it's not a specific problem on the left is it that's a ridiculous thing to say and it just makes me think well ianucci must be like going for corbin in a way that he's not going for other people with a kind of invigorated support base who will go for you because i know that if you say something that's considered not sufficiently remainy you get a dog pile for days if you say something in support of trans rights you get dog pile for days you know if you somehow manage to get like trump nazis on your ass then you'll get dog pile for days have you looked in diane abbott's mentions that's not all fascists that's like well they are fascists but like mainstream conservative party supporters dogpiling diane for days so it just makes me think well how is ianucci choosing to kind of target his political statements right jess phillips kind of agreed with him she was like i rib on people in my side of the party constantly it's how i show affection by taking the piss out of people she says what worries me about the labor party is we've lost any sense of humor <laughs> Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. 
because it was known for being a, a big barrel of laughs pre twenty fifteen. You know, politics in general is known for being just the most humorous of subjects. You could go um, along to a Labour students disco and during things can only get better, go up behind Liam Byrne and slap him on the back. Of the head. <laughs> like yeah, it was a fucking barrel of laughs. No, I mean it's it's a ridiculous thing to say because twenty seventeen was like the banter election on the left, and Jess was not was decidedly not on the pro-banter side during that election. She was one of the most anti-banter people out there. And to be fair, like, she does, like, attract the ire of a lot of Nazis and shit, as well as people on the left. Mm. She talks about how, like, I guess, like, with a lot of women, people immediately go to her with, like, threats of sexual violence and stuff. That's definitely true of a, a lot of the people who do attack her. But, I mean, say when she says some really awful right-wing thing, like, I kind of see loads of mutuals of mine atting her, and literally none of them are saying stuff like that. And I kind of wonder, like, what the ratio is, like, left to right in the people who attack Jess Phillips. Because if it is people on the left saying that kind of stuff, it must really be the kind of, like, I don't want to name, like, specific outlets and libelously link people with this kind of disgusting behaviour, but it must really be, like, the fucking David Icke-addled dregs of the left, who, <laughs> if, if, if it is people who, like, support Corbyn saying that kind of mm-hmm. stuff to her, you know? Yeah, I think that's outliers, to say the least. But again, that just kind of made me think about Ianucci saying he only gets vitriol from Corbyn supporters. Only. Such hyperbole, at the very least. So it made me think Jess Phillips is clearly saying stuff that, like, pisses off Nazis as well as uh, the stuff that riles up the left. Yeah. <laughs> Armando Inucci, is it just because he's a man that he has never like pissed off anyone on the political right? Or should he maybe have a little <laughs> bit of introspection as to why it only seems to be leftists who are <laughs> pissing him off, you know? Uh, right. Sorry, who are getting pissed off at him. But yeah, the whole thing is kind of a real fucking smug fest. Dan Ravens, like, she's an impressionist, she does Dead Ringers, which used to be on TV and is now on Radio 4. So Incredible no satirical chops, yeah. yeah. No one under the age of 60 has been aware of Dead Ringers for many years. Like, I mean, putting something on Radio 4 is, like, the dead zone, yeah. man. Like, I mean, no, I mean, obviously good people have done stuff for Radio 4, but... It's like, I'd only listen to that specifically if it was someone I'd like and I'd go on iPlayer to do it. Radio 4 is kind of a real... It's not the kind of format that people want in these days. People want to listen to real politics or they want to, like, watch TV. Not it's very something quite, that's in between. Yeah, it's very upper middle class in the way both its comedy and its sort of documentaries and stuff are pitched to. I can't understand a word you're saying, Geraint. Sorry. Right, that, that's good. That's a good sign. Okay. Um, I was saying... <laughs> okay, I could hear that. I could hear that. The main reason most people my age would remember Dead Ringers is because the other guy off it, fucking John Culshaw, would mm. pop up completely unwelcome on every live coverage of any major political event, any UK election, any American election, anything remotely political. He would always turn up at some point in the night's festivities, at oh, yeah. any point during the noughties, doing his fucking accursed George W. Bush character, where it was basically like, 
I say nuclear instead of nuclear, nuclear, and uh, then I just say different words wrong, and that's it. And that's a joke. I was going to say, was he in it's character? Not, it's not a particularly convincing impression. It's just I remember a broad some of that... Southern American accent. Um, just, just I'm W. He says words um, wrong. You misunderestimated me. They're just yeah. like people got so much mileage out of you know all the books of George W. Bushisms. It's basically so that, like yeah. that. But I, I was going to say like in fact yeah. I actually remember Ianucci himself being present at at least one BBC election night coverage thing at mm. one of the fucking parties where just like all the but, people in the media elite are swanning about yeah. like drinking champagne and waiting for a result to spinning to it in the spin room I guess but it does show how he got to a certain level and it's very establishment part of that yeah. shit yeah um, it's, uh, it's quite a contrast in attitudes between him and obviously Chris Morris who they, they both did some great work together in the 90s yeah. you see Morris's yeah. big interview last year on Channel 4 News which went viral and continues to get cited all the time now about doing a sort of exotic display for the court and what's, what, Which sh- what should like satire be and definitely... you compare it with even some of his more talented collaborators people like Amanda Iannucci who is, is capable of being a very funny comedy writer just but doesn't he's a have any the court nowadays. doesn't have any ambition to actually be making a wider point and Phillips is a jester for the court in another way Phillips. in that she is from within parliament she performs for the media yes um, He's in the media performing for the people in Parliament. So actually, I think they do kind of belong together at this (laughs) juncture. It was actually, I remember now, it was the 2010 election night that Iannucci was in the spin room with, I don't know, Mandelson or whatever, talking about how he was supporting the Lib Dems. That worked out well, didn't it, Armando? (laughs) Um, So there's one kind of direct quote that I took down. I think, from this whole thing. At least slightly longer quote. The rest of them are just little kind of observations that I took down. But this here's almost verbatim quote from Jan Ravens off of Dead Ringers. She says, People have become too sensitive. Part of the point of satire is to cause offence. I mean, I've done stuff about Diane Abbott, and they're actually the things that cause the most trouble because people are... People take the view that I'm being racist. Fancy that. <laughs> can't think why. Like, yeah. doing, like, black... Right. I guess it's on the radio now. Uh, what Would she still be, like, impersonating Diane if it was on TV? I oh, wouldn't. God. <laughs> <laughs> would <laughs> they like, still have been just... on TV in the era when Diane Abbott was on this week? Because if she was, I guarantee they'd have done a fucking sketch based on that. Yeah, I mean, like, nobody a gives, obviously no gives a fucking cold short playing No one remembers, because no. no one gives a fuck about Dead Ringers now, because it's, like, consigned to the oblivion of Radio 4. But, like, imagine if it turned out there was just years and years of Jan Ravens, blackface Diane Abbott impersonations <laughs> that everyone had just completely forgotten. It's like the they deal, the deal times a thousand. <laughs> I love, by the way, a friend of the show, Macats, added David Bedil the other day in response to some selfie he did, and he was like, Christ, you look haggard without all the blackface makeup. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I fucking died at that. That yes. was an amazing shout out to Macats. That was I, amazing. I love how you can tell Badil gets so angry so wound up by people bringing it up but well because like, he did a whole fucking stand up yeah. show about it but coming <laughs> up for 25 years on he's not apologised if he'd said yeah I shouldn't have done it I've sent an apology to Jason Lee or something I'm, I'm going to go pick out, it one of but he just I'm going to pick it one of Badil's stand up shows and I'm just going to stand outside with just like a projector showing the 
montage of ways in which pop culture has reinforced racism from the end of Spike Lee's Bamboozle. No, yeah. fuck it, man. I'll just show the entirety <laughs> of Spike Lee's Bamboozle. <laughs> it's a very difficult film on a loop outside the deals thing. Sorry, Grant, I think I cut you off there. But yes, he should fucking apologise to... Was it Jason Lee? Jason Lee, yeah, yeah. Damaged yeah. his career, really. Definitely. And his mental health, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he couldn't take his kids to the games anymore for a while then because yeah, yeah, rival yeah. fans would just chant, like, he's got a pineapple on his head, which literally Fuck was. Fuck David Baddiel, The man. other part of it, as well as blackface, is he would he would stick a, a fucking prop pineapple on his on his head, mocking, essentially, black hairstyles. You know, it's, it's just grim. It fucks me off. He doesn't think he has mm. to address that at all. No. He's just got this total entitlement where he thinks that he can posit himself as an authority on racism without <laughs> fucking ever kind of just like fessing up and taking responsibility for the repeated blackface sketches that had an adverse effect to their target you yeah. know he just kind of thinks oh it's just stupid to talk about that it's like the iraq war for his blair right if an anonymous like, person right. on the internet had it's in the past now yeah. if an anonymous person on the internet if, if, if one of the plebs you know one of the trolls had blacked up and started taking the piss out of a, a random black footballer be the first to condemn it but he he condemned them has an and then retract his condemnation of them when he realized that they were in fact a celebrity i keep forgetting he was such a coward over the fucking dankula thing as well yeah 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 he's in a documentary supporting count dankula mm. alongside like tommy robinson and alex jones um, of course yeah fuck david Badil, man absolutely fuck that guy just getting back to <laughs> talking about <laughs> off the subject of blackface please <laughs> yeah so jan ravens explains going on i didn't like transcribe this bit but she says basically that she's a labor member unfortunately labor members out there doing gross impressions of diane abbott on the radio uh <laughs> yay uh this is, the party's compliance unit is so good man just this stalinist <laughs> unit purging the enemies of corbynism for the last five years i love compliance compliance unit yeah she says like oh diane doesn't learn her facts before she goes on the radio she's letting me down as a labor member i'm skewing her for not knowing her lines pathetic shit you know it's not satire to just because like lbc decide it's a story that someone got some figures wrong to decide yourself that that's the major issue that's not being fucking satirical fuck off that's just being another media jackal smelling blood i'm saying fuck off a lot in this section of the show. <laughs> yeah i think uh, you say fuck off a lot i probably like, do generally generally not to people's faces i mean i'm quite no usually, it, it's but... your podcasting style exactly jess says that she doesn't think the the thick of it is like damaging political trust she doesn't think that people are watching Ianucci shows and thinking oh Jess Phillips she's just riding the fucking gravy train and it's like no I don't think it's the thick of it that's making people think that either Geraint obviously yeah. you are a big expert on Jess's register of members interest page uh yeah I've not looked at it in a while but it's yeah just a work of absurd uh magnitude yeah yeah war and peace level Obviously, you know she, she, she took a lot of crowdfunding for a leadership campaign that she'd already ended at the point it actually deducted the money from the donors accounts like several <laughs> days before she still just took 
the 50 odd grand and none of the donors even though it's mostly small donors presumably not rich people are just not keeping up a fuss at all i mean she does have donations from rich people but that's oh yeah there's people thing. that have donated a grand a thousand five hundred pounds stuff like that yeah to her, for, for nothing essentially and it's just oh well <laughs> that's fine you know she'll be she'll be gobby on on sky news any day now again it'll be real worth it bloomberg long. hours chucking your money away on failed campaigns uh oh that's jokes how much bloomberg actually did like i swear it was like almost a billion or something (laughs) yeah i think it was genuinely about 800 odd million or something wasn't it on on advertising and and essentially paying people to canvas for him yeah but there's a lot of reports classic rich person throwing money away there's a lot of reports of people being paid to canvas for him and just going knocking on doors saying look I've got to say this. I've got to hand you this leaflet, but please vote for Bernie. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, we're, yeah. Just, we're just taking the money because we need it. But you know, Bernie yeah, Sanders yeah, is someone, available. Someone said Bloomberg canvasser came to mm. my door. I told them I was voting Bernie, and they said, "Oh yeah, me too." Because <laughs> in, in some areas they were bussing people into the town or city and uh, giving them a free lunch and stuff like that. <laughs> That's like the only time so, that centrist yeah. liberals have supported. Bus. Giving them an organised sort of his list of addresses to get through. And if you want to canvas for another candidate, they're essentially paying you to do it. Yeah, Particularly if you can um, identify a couple of other left-wingers in your group and be like, let's just canvas together as a group. Right, great. You're essentially getting paid to canvas for the left on the, on the right time. That's the yeah, dream, yeah. isn't it? You know? That's great, actually. That's a good idea, man. Yeah. Proper entry, is it? It's too late for us to join the Starmer campaign, isn't it, at the moment? But <laughs> yeah, <fuck>. oh, <laughs> for next time. For next time, oh, damn it! We will, we will derail. We will derail the Nand wagon, good and proper. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking with my Bergen support as well. I should have been there for Ian Murray on day. A <laughs> <laughs> friend of a show, Ian Murray. Oh God, Ian Murray, the real Star candidate of, Toy of the Story. last. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, I think that's most of the stuff from. Yeah, okay, no. Iannucci actually made one point I thought was fairly salient, which was that he said that the kind of liberal satire that he... He didn't describe it in these terms, but the kind of liberal satire that he did so well relied upon a kind of shared understanding, a kind of agreement, an agreed set of rules of political engagement. Basically, most people thought, okay, this is the reasonable way to do things, and this is not and although i'm sure he thinks there still should be something like that and i don't i think he is right but that's why a lot of satire is losing its effectiveness in increasingly polarized times once again the division is i think that it's right that things are polarized right now and he doesn't he thinks that's scary but it is hard to do satire for a mass audience now because what can people find like common ground on that's why you know we do a kind of satire thing but it's like deeply partisan satire and so we can do our own thing but it is not for like the mainstream audience yeah (laughs) so yeah i can understand why his vision of satire might be in decline i don't necessarily think that this means satire itself is dying not at all. I think yeah, there's course, a point no. in that it may need to become more niche and more targeted. And it's yeah, it's Sat- satire is. As... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I'm no, just having ahead. trouble hearing you. Go, carry, yeah, carry. yeah, me too. Right. <laughs> so, sorry, man. We probably talked over that's, you so much. That's all right. It's 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 unnecessary. Even when there's fucking three of us, we're all going to talk over each other at times. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but especially when you're like coming out of like I don't know Tom Watson's <laughs> wank bunker. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, like, you weren't supposed to reveal. Uh, I was just going to point out that. Of <laughs> course, See, it happened again. <laughs> Sorry, 
sorry. <laughs> Satire is, of course, as old as history, if not older, so uh, it's yeah. like, not going anywhere. Were you going to say something, Garang? No, I was just saying like it's just rude of you to reveal that I was trapped in Tom Watson's wank bunker. You know, a secret, <laughs> secret locked drenge wank bunker at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. To use the I mean, normally I'd be horrified, but to be honest, right now it's the, the safest place to <laughs> safest be. Safest place, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Fuck all people around. Heavy just, quarantine. Just yeah. walls lined. <laughs> he's with got like ectoplasm. He's got like twenty. <laughs> ventil- he's got like twenty ventilators here. I was asking him if that's. If that's <laughs> COVID-19 and he just goes, no, what? (laughs) (laughs) Um... There's plenty of pillows here as well. They've all got his favourite anime characters on it. It's really cute. Geraint, obviously, regarding our uh, David Baddiel conversation earlier, <laughs> David Baddiel obviously hates Corbin, and he did his best to destroy Jason Lee's life as well. Not Corbin, David mm-hmm. Baddiel did his best to destroy Jason Lee's life. And this is a tweet from Show Racism the Red Card England. Two great supporters of Show Racism the Red Card, Jeremy Corbin and Jason Lee. There they go. One of looking, the looking best. Real- Best piss boiling tweets I've ever seen Real in my cute life. Together. <laughs> I think me and friend of the show, Muzakir Ahmed, just used to just add that into the deal's replies at random intervals <laughs> just because we knew it would really wind him up on a number of levels. Yeah, man. Was there anything else about this fucking Jess Phillips Ianucci thing? I think I've covered most of the things that stood out to me. Jess Phillips, she didn't kind of say, like, as awful shit as I expected, but she said nothing kind of insightful. She just says a lot of, like, really banal things, a lot of truisms. She says a lot of stuff like, uh, obviously, you know, satire is the domain of the left. Uh, uh, oh, well, more like of the anti-establishment, uh, uh, which the left has claimed to, or something. Like, just this whole, like, load of really banal, like, well, this thing, but maybe not that thing. Well, I don't know, <laughs> sort of. A, but uh, the basis of the thing she's saying is some really obvious thing that's actually not really true, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. is most satire at the moment left-wing, and is most satire historically left-wing? Joe Kennedy, on our show... <coughs> Or maybe he just did it on Twitter, and I've just like imagined this in his voice. But has talked about a lot about a lot of the best, most vicious satire being right wing. Someone like Jonathan Swift, who wrote one of the kind of really iconic works of satire with a modest proposal, which is like we solve the economic crisis by like eating the poor children or whatever. Jonathan Swift wasn't left wing. No, <laughs> he was just cynical. Yeah. and funny yeah. so i i mean i don't think that's true obviously i favor left-wing satire myself and that's what i'm interested in doing but i don't think jess was right about that because like i look at something like the stuff that they do cite like have i got news for you or the <laughs> mash report i Oof. mean have either of you guys seen the mash report is it left-wing it's been Not around too. for ages and it's just really really obvious mashing up a couple of events in the news for a funny headline you know i didn't even realize there was a tv show of it but like it's been a website for a long time and it is basically just the ultimate mm. uh, oh yeah the website is terrible yeah. Yeah, it's just people share really it on unfunny. Facebook and sometimes the headline will be quite funny and then you'll click on to it. Never do this, by the way, but if you do click on to <laughs> it, the, the article will just be the headline now. repeated like 30 times, just the same joke. <laughs> they're, all, they're really... all, Brit- all British attempts at the Onion have been terrible failures. but Absolutely, I mean, uh, disastrous. 
Yeah. The thing that made me skeptical about the Daily Mash from the way they discussed it was that Jess Phillips was like, oh, I was with them when this thing was happening in Parliament. And I'm just like, okay, well, that just is a pure evidence of how there's this, like, symbiotic <laughs> bottom-feeding relationship between you and the media. It's just like, this is why I don't want to watch the Daily Mash, because that makes them seem right. like court jesters for politicians yeah. like you, who were superficially, oh, we're bloody taking punches in the establishment, but actually deeply, deeply establishment people. And this is why I don't like Jess Phillips, because she just kind of seems to like want to hang out with people in the media and have this thing where they reinforce each other's view of the world all right critical support for the mash report because i'm um, just looking at the wikipedia of a tv series now because again i didn't realize there was a tv series in 2018 <laughs> yeah. conservative bbc political presenter andrew neil described the series as self-satisfied self-adulatory unchallenged left-wing propaganda <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I mean, like, Nish Kumar, who hosts it, I mean, I, I, I don't think he's, like, the worst comedian out there. I, I don't know much of his no. stuff, but he seems at least leftish to me. I think and... he's kind of the good end of centre-left, like, at least someone you wouldn't hate. He doesn't <laughs> seem too smug about it, but I wouldn't expect him, really, to be fucking bringing down the government with hard-hitting satire or anything, you know? I've not really seen it, so I don't want to get too much into the MASH report, but no. that was, like, the only thing on TV other than Have I Got News For You that they could think of that is, like, current satire. Uh, even um, this show that's, that's described as, like, left-leaning propaganda, one of the people on it is fucking Jeff Norcott, who's the guy who promotes oh, himself God. incessantly as the only outwardly Tory comedian on the British comedy circuit. Now, first off, that's bullshit because you could literally fit an absolutely stacked comedy bill of people all claiming to be the only right-wing comedian going, you know? It's called uh, Comedy Unleashed, isn't it? Well, I mean, (laughs) they've got a regular cast of probably about 10 people that they rotate between that would all fit that bill. Uh, There's Jeff Norcott, there's that guy, Scottish guy, who just randomly popped up on Sky News doing the papers despite being quite an obscure comedian. And yeah, started talking about like a bald. Muslim block vote and stuff like that, just doing mad racism. You know, there's there's loads of them. You could the literally the guy who's bald. Oh, Lee Hurst as well. Yeah, famous yeah, for being bald. yeah bald. Famous mainly for being bald, and for he somehow managed to be the most <laughs> disgraced member of shit TV sports panel show. They think it's all over from the nineties, despite <laughs> despite the other <laughs> panelists being Gary Lineker. Jonathan Ross. What are you going to say, Gary Glitter? <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan Ross would mainly just like work female sportswoman. That was his thing on that show. He was like a professor for laughs. And it also had Rory McGrath, who, as well as being not funny, also later got convicted for like stalking women. And Lee Hurst has still managed to come out the worst of that whole lot in the way he carries on on Twitter. <laughs> oh, man. So, I mean, I guess we're talking about in this discussion of like satire and an age of absurdity there is something to be said for like oh reality is so absurd that there's no point like making stuff up. i mean i think that's bullshit <laughs> but the, prob- the problem is that they don't notice what things are absurd like right. it's, fa- it's fallen to like us to notice mike gapes <laughs> it's fallen to us to notice tim farron you know what i mean the but... contradictions of capitalism are only apparent to some i guess <laughs> the joe swinson squirrel thing the fact that joe biden is just like out there dying and they're all just like, yeah, eminently electable, you know? <laughs> they, they don't know, because they were they were saying that about Trump. 
in, in this in, in this podcast, one of them was like, you know, I watched some videos of Trump just a few years ago, and he's clearly just not well at the moment because he's more articulate then, he speaks faster, and I'm like, well, you should try it, fucking been, look. Sorry, I've been saying that since he was running. Yeah, like it, it loved the whole like he's got dementia or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, even if that is true about Trump, look up the video of Joe Biden in 2016 explaining <laughs> why he thinks Hillary lost. And it is vastly more articulate than anything he's shown in this entire campaign. So it is just kind of like they don't notice if it's not convenient for their worldview. And then they have the temerity to yeah. come out here and accuse other people of being too dogmatic and of not being able to take jokes against their own side. Yeah, exactly. They talk about like John Oliver in the US and how that model of like intensely researched kind of stuff hasn't mm-hmm. translated over to the UK. Their theory is basically it's a material issue, it's budgetary. I think that's probably true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, could be. I mean, like, just think about the work that goes into just, like, producing this show. Mm-hmm. In yeah. It, in a lot of regards, and then doing something that's got to be more kind of, like... I mean, the sprawlingness yeah. can be a, a spanner in the works in getting this done punctually. Yeah. something that's got to be, like, a tight, concise package, well-researched, fact-checked, professionally done. Yeah, it requires a big team. I know BBC comedy budgets have been fucking nothing for the last two decades or something, really, unless it's like a proven rating success, like Have I Got News For You or a big sitcom or something, you know? Yeah. But I mean, obviously John Oliver sort of started here, but what he was doing here wasn't quite the same as what he does now. No, it would be interesting to go back to some of his old bugle podcast of Andy Zaltzman to hear what he was saying about British politics when he lived here. Yeah. But I don't think it was that remarkable really. I just, no. That seemed like standard left of centre stuff yeah. to me. Like, I just remember him and Andy Zaltzman like, crying when the Tories won a, an election victory in 2015. And I remember that being quite a cathartic listen to be fair. They seemed genuinely to be sad about it. But that does make me think they're kind of like Millibandy type guys. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think that's about right, you know. And I think, to be honest, Zaltzman stood out to me as the, the fun, the, the, the sharper of the two. To be honest, when I have listened to it, I'm surprised that John Oliver's had such fame off the back of it. Well, Andy Zaltzman now is like, oh god, actually, it's quite sad. Like he's like on the Now Show now, while John oh. Oliver's like got his big HBO show. <laughs> <laughs> that's a shame. Do we have anything else funny? to mention I just want to mention in passing although we have covered it many times before that Matt Ford is a fucking prick I hate him he's such a cunt yeah such a dickhead what was I didn't I slag him off in one of the DMs earlier or something I swear I I posted a thing by him probably it's a day that ends in Y so he's probably been a dickhead at some point today He's just an absurd man. You know, I was uh, ha- I was half assumed he was doing a bit with all those slightly creepy Tony Blair obsession tweets, but <laughs> the fact that he I then just... deleted them and started blocking people and deleting old tweets when they were retweeting them, like, no, he that actually was feel serious. when you get bloody smashed and call Tony Blair a legend at checkers. <laughs> the one where he talks about loading up YouTube, getting classic Blair speeches on as he's getting up, and it just genuinely sounds like he's having a wank. I think that's what that's one of the ones he deleted, but it was the funniest thing he's ever said, <laughs> and, and ever will say. I just wanted to say regarding another friend of the show, so, uh, uh, sorry, Lord Sugar, 
What, Sir Alan Sugar? He has tweeted a picture. Oh, breaking news with a kind of CNN type setup. It looks like Sky News, actually. Uh, live. Russia unleashed more than 500 lions <clears throat> on its streets to ensure that people are staying indoors during this pandemic outbreak. And then the caption underneath it, you know, the scrolling thing at the bottom of the news, which doesn't look like it's scrolling, says Vladimir Putin released around 500 lions to make people stay indoors. <laughs> and there's a picture of a lion roaming the streets. There's a couple of crashed cars and otherwise abandoned streets. Looks completely uh, legit. Just, you know, this is Russian society in, in its current state of disrepair. And Lord Sugar has tweeted that with, Is this a wind-up? <laughs> <laughs> Laura was doing some great work in the replies of that one, by the way. Oh, yeah. No, Alan, it's completely true. I breed lions in a small town in East Siberia called Russian thing. <laughs> and the, the, the KGB have requisitioned my lions for public use. My lions have been nationalized and sent to prowl the streets of Moscow. I think that means Moscow looking to eat citizens who break quarantine. I have nothing. Please help me, Mr. Alan. <laughs> oh no, that is an actual place that Laura posted. It's called Ulan Ud. But oh, in Laura news, apparently MC Fucking Mortal has put out a new track or whatever he's called. <laughs> um, the guy who did that. You don't have to be a gangster to fucking smoke tack. Fucking smoke tack. That's it. Um, All right, uh, then should we call it soon? I think we should call I it. I think yeah. so. That's a good two hours of material there. That should be plenty. Yeah. Right. The first bit of All that was right. the, the Gapes cast, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> well, that's what I'll get started on first. Obviously. Yes. Yeah, that's like maybe the best one yet of the, the Gapes cast. Just absolutely yeah. terrifying. <laughs> terrifying shit. Yeah. Deeply, deeply. Okay. Unsettling. Right. See you guys later. Yeah. Right, fun stuff. All right. Have See a good one, guys. See you. See you later. Bye. Look out, mama, there's a white boat coming up the river With a big red beacon and a flag and a man on the rail Think you better call John, cause it don't look like they're here to deliver Sir, they
It's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing.